job, guys. Thank you. Good morning. How is everyone? That is good to hear. Um, hey, can we just get up again for the worship band? You know, that's great. And Claire guest leading. Uh, well, hey, my name is Chad Frontier. I'm the associate pastor here. I just want to welcome you if we have not met yet. I got a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to jump into the message with Ryan. Um, you can find, first of all, the bulletin, the handout that you got on the way in. You can always find all the information on there, as well as all the information on our WAP, or, or, our WAP, our app or website. You guys haven't heard about WAPs? That's a new thing, yeah. Uh, on the app or website, whatever. You can find all the information there. You can sign up for anything there, all that. So find stuff that's going on throughout the week. Men's group is still doing their morning Bible study Tuesdays. Uh, you'll find that kind of stuff in there or on the app. Um, but a couple quick highlights that I want to pull out. Uh, one is VBS is going to be starting in like eight days. We've already got a bunch of kids signed up um, and, and some volunteers as well. But this is kind of uh, one of the final reminders that VBS is coming up in about eight days. You can still sign up for it for ages four through 11. Uh, you can sign up for that on the app or website, or you can also talk with Taylor, our children's director, over at Kids Check-In before or after service, and she can help you out with that. I know she's still looking for a couple volunteers, so if your schedule allows and you're interested, um, please consider that. It's just 9 to noon for that week. Um, and even if you say, hey, I'm busy for these days, but you know what, on this day I can help out, maybe there's just something special we're doing on that day that you might be a good volunteer for. And uh, there's volunteer positions of all activity levels. I know uh, some people at church have said they've wanted to, but not super mobile, stuff like that. There's good places to serve at any, any position there. So talk with Taylor if you're interested in volunteering, and she can really uh, let you know about a good fit for you. Um, but this is going to be really fun. I mean, it's, it's four ages, four through 11, but this is something that we kind of get to celebrate as a church. Like when the youth go off to winter and summer camp, it's something we celebrate as a church. Um, it is just this, this focus on this certain age group. Uh, as a church, and their, their spiritual growth and their development as well. Wow, okay, lights just turned on. All right. Uh, besides that, uh, Rancho La Hermosa uh, is the orphanage that we've been supporting uh, since last October, almost a year now. We've gone down about six or seven times. Um, it, it's a, a phenomenal experience, and I always encourage people uh, to come check it out. If you got a passport, you really should come check it out. Um, I've done a lot of work in Mexican ministries, and a lot of them are, I, I give the same you know, pitch to everyone I talk to, uh, a lot of them were in the middle of Tijuana, and it was like, don't step foot off campus, and it's loud, and it doesn't really smell great, and all of that, uh, but if you've been down to Rancho La Hermosa, I think we even have a picture of it, um, one of those announcement slides. Don, do we have a picture of that for Rancho La Hermosa? Maybe not. But it's just a couple miles inland from this little beach town in the rolling hills. It's very isolated. It's enjoyable. Uh, I mean, we're going on July 31st, so it's probably going to be warm. Uh, but besides that, it's an incredible experience. We go into town for lunch and grab some tacos and stuff like that, too. So definitely consider that um, if you have been kind of in the, uh, the bubble for a long time. You're saying, I just feel like I'm in the same routine, looking for a new experience. This is definitely a good one. We'll meet here in caravan here or carpool here, uh, but it's a really great thing to consider. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in that, you can come talk to me. I'll be leading that trip, or you can sign up on the app or website, right? Does this, oh, there it is. I think I get what's going on here. Everyone is going towards the fan. I think I need to move it up here. 
Well, hi, guys in this front row who don't care about getting hot. Okay. Um, if you are new here, and I, th I think I recognize a few of you are new and have met a few of you, I just want to welcome you. My name is Ryan Grable. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and man, oh, man, I'm so glad that we are able to be here, and uh, just with an open-air room like this, isn't this great? What a blessing, and also the fan. And so uh, I just uh, wanted to let you know that we are in the middle of a series, especially if you're new, we're in the middle of a series of taking a very in-depth look at the life of David. And, you know, a couple things that you're going to want to know, you, you don't necessarily have to be in step with where we've gone with the story of David. We're over halfway through his journey. So far, it, today we'll see a little bit of a shift, but so far it's been all like amazing. David is just a, such a good example. But we're going to start to be in a little bit of a transition, and I think this is an extremely important part of his story. It's probably today we're going to read one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament, theologically, that ultimately ushers in uh, the time of Christ. And so it, it, this is a really, really good part to really listen and hear what God is doing in this story. But man, when you read this part of the story, it's three chapters. Um, there are some important things we're going to extract. But let me just let you know this. Throughout this series, we're going to look at these monumental moments from this monumental character. The great thing about David is he's very relatable to us. Like you strive to, to love God more. You strive to follow him more, but you will fall short and have fallen short. David is the same way, right? When we follow Christ, we're going, we, that's our example, and there's nothing better, and he was perfect. And David is a great example, but he is not perfect. He is someone who is striving like we are to follow God's voice. And so if you could think about David, this entire series, I've said this every sermon, that David lived a life of obedience. And if we can just get our mind around living a life of obedience, just trying to hear God's voice and follow it no matter how difficult it is or the circumstances that are around us. Because I, I, let's face it, are circumstances always going your way? Right? Are they, are, have you ever had it where it rains, it pours? Have you ever had one of those, right? It, it's okay to raise your hand. And it, it, it's not like it always goes your way, but who are we in the midst of it? But more importantly, who do we believe God to be in the midst of that? And this is something David really, really went after. The series passage I want to read is, it's from Paul. He's preaching a sermon. He's freshly converted but he's talking to a Jewish audience. And what he chooses to highlight and what he chooses to say about David, he could say, David, the giant slayer. David, the greatest king that Israel had had. David, you know, you name it. But what is, this is what he highlights about David and especially his character. He says in Acts 13, 22, it should be on the screens. And when he had removed, God had removed Saul, him, who raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified. God testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because who will do all my will? 
And I don't know about you, but have you ever had a time where God is telling you to do something and you absolutely do not want to do it? Oh my gosh, it's the worst. Or when God puts someone on your heart and you're in the middle of something and you know that it might compromise maybe the next thing you wanted to do, but someone's there and God's like, speak to this person and I'm bringing them your way. And you never know what is going to happen in that moment, but there's a moment when we can be obedient and there's a moment where we can just go into like, you, you know, let someone else get them, God, I got to go. And I know that you are also spiritual and holy and you obey God so great that you would never do that. But I will struggle with that. My own agenda or God's agenda. And this is the battle. This is the rub for David where he wants to do what he wants to do, but he has to force himself to be obedient to God. And part of that reason is what we're going to see today is he recognizes who God is in areas that uh, reflect who God's character is. And the more we know who God is, I believe the more obedient we will be to when he calls us. So today we're going to take a look at this. We're going to look at inside lessons that are given to us by the writer of Second Samuel. Inside lessons that David learns about the character of God. These are four lessons, four examples where David sees who God is in a way, maybe he didn't fully appreciate who God is. And some of them are not positive for David. And so, but he needs to know the character of God. So let's pray. God, we ask that today as we read your word, God, as we learn about your character through the experience of David, that God, that we personally relate to some of these lessons. And there are maybe some of these lessons that David had to learn that God, that maybe we need to learn. And so God, I ask as we're walking through these and they're highlighted in the writing of 2 Samuel, that on our heart, if there's work to be done, God, that you put that on our heart and God, convict our heart to inspire us to move into obedience. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I titled this message, The New Covenant, and ultimately we are going to be looking at understandings of the God that David served. Now, we serve the same God, but through David's eyes, we're going to see the God that he served and the God he was beginning to understand who he was serving. And um, I love David's story because everything seemed to go his way. Do you know anybody that just feels like, man, everything just works out for you, right? This is, in a way, what we're seeing with David. He is obedient to God, but everything seems to work in his favor. And that's super positive, but when things uh, aren't so difficult for David anymore, this is when, and I think we can all relate to this, this is when David will need to really press into the character of God and the obedience to God. Because when things are easier, when things are going your way, or when we feel like maybe we don't need God as much, this is when the struggle can come for any Christian and especially does, definitely begins to happen for David. But I would say this, when we're looking at God's character, no matter how you imagine God, and I think I've heard people describe God in a lot of different ways. And if you have described God this way, I'm, I'm, I don't want to offend you, but I've heard these descriptions where <clears throat> I kind of scratch my head a little bit when I'm like, so how do you see God? And well, he's like, he's a great being. 
And I'm like, okay, that's good. It's true. And he's uh, a, 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 an aura that I can tap into. I'm like, I can kind of get there theologically. Your language is different than mine. And um, ultimately, he uh, wants me to do well. So I hear these descriptions. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see it, but your theological language is different. Um, but then I'll hear him describe him as completely lopsided in his character. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been to a church, and nothing against churches, but where all it felt like was is that God is a God of judgment, and he's waiting for you to slip up? Anybody, raise your hand. It's not this church, is it? I really hope it's not the case. But th th that's when you <clears throat> will enter into a teaching of a, of, of a highlighting of a character of God, a characteristic. Now, God is a God of judgment, and God is just in his judgment, but God also will act on judgment. And so we have to know that that's part of his character. But there also is the other end where we only talk about God is like a God of grace. That's a part of God's character. But I've heard this said before, and I thought it was interesting. <clears throat> when you look at heresy, like heretical teaching, teaching that's like uh, not in line with scripture, they talk about the character of God, and they say, anytime you highlight a characteristic of God that's noted in the Bible, above other characteristics of God and bring it out of balance, you may find yourself tiptoeing into heresy. And I thought that was an interesting way to keep my view of God balanced, where God is loving and gracious, but yet God is just and will then bring judgment as well. And the judgment part of God is out of love, which doesn't seem right. But when you're in a parent, when there's discipline and there's judgment, you will then realize quickly why God's standards that are high, that have consequences, are important for his children like you with your children. And then it brings it into balance and realizing we get the full view of God. But I'll just say this. God is who he is, no matter how you define him. No matter how great you think of God or how you want to put the meat around the bones of God. He is who he is. It cannot be changed what we think or not. God has always been, will always be this way. And I think the important thing to do is more than try to define God for ourselves the way we want to, is to try to define God in the way he wants to be defined and then spend our life growing towards his reality and not bringing God into our perspective. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. I do couples counseling, been through couples counseling. One of the important things I learned early on was this phrase, if you've ever been through marriage therapy or counseling, this phrase called someone's experience, right? I remember I was so frustrated because I remember Ann and I were dealing with an issue and I was like, we're talking about the facts of the issue. And I'm talking about the facts of the issue. She's talking about how she felt about the issue. And I'm and she would Oh, I see married couples nodding their head. Okay, so you're giving a saying. If you're not married yet, this is very important to know. Okay? This is how you will keep someone in your life, especially as a guy, because we're not super smart. And um, and I remember just learning like experience. The where's the truth? We're talking about the truth here. I said this, and you're saying. I said that. That's not true. And I would go back and forth and back and forth. And eventually I learned from this counselor. They said, listen, no. 
that's her experience about what happened. It's more about her impression of it. It's like an eyewitness. If we all witness something in here, we'd all have a different perspective of what we witness. Will we not? So it's our experience. And the truth is in there somewhere. But then, Ryan, you have your experience as well. And you're trying to say this is fact. And then I learned quickly, oh, this is just how I'm experiencing this emotionally. This is how she's experiencing it emotionally. Ultimately, those are more important to understand first before we get down to even what facts are, even if they're relevant. Now, this is not how we operate with God. So I just want to tell you that. I hate to break your heart. There is your experience, and then there is God's reality. There is no God's experience. It's who he is, who he will always be, and the facts are always who, on God's side of who he is. Your experience is important, but it's important that we align more and more and grow towards God's reality in that way. Now, he will meet you there, but ultimately with God, his, his, it's not his experience. It's his truth we're looking for. So if you have your Bibles, you can write this down. I'm going to give a little bit of a summary, but read <clears throat> some of these monumental moments that we're going to look at with David learned. David, ultimately at this point, in 2 Samuel, starting really ultimately in 5, he's anointed king over all of Israel. He was only a portion of Israel. Then all of Israel anoints him as king, right? But the problem is, is Jerusalem, their home, if you will, is still overtaken by Canaanites. And so David then goes and then takes the city of Jerusalem, and then they now occupy Jerusalem and all of Israel, and it's all united under one king. And the kingdom is eventually established. And one thing is missing, and this is where our first value is going to come from, our first lesson David learns. What's missing is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, where David is going is, is different than where Israel has gone and how the Ark has played its role in Israel. But David knows that I need to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God into the home of now this nation that God set out from the leaving Israel or leaving Egypt finally happening now. So all of those years, this is the moment. But this is an interesting story. So he takes 30,000 people. It's pretty big. And they're going to have a huge party. They're celebrating. They're singing. And they're going to take where the ark has been stored for years and years and years. And they're going to move it into Jerusalem, into a tent that David prepared. And as they're going along, the old rickety buggy or, or whatever they're using to carry it hits something. And one of the guys who is there touches it and instantly dies. Now, everybody's singing and, and celebrating and cheering. And when he dies, it's almost like when the party ends immediately. Everything stops. Oh my gosh, something happened. David's furious. He's upset with God. The Bible says he's angry with God in this moment. And one of the things that we're going to learn of these four important lessons he learns in his first year of being a king is one, is the first one, is he understands in a very real way the fear of God. The fear of God is interesting because we can look at it like this. There is the fear of God, which is a reverence and an awe of God, right? And I think in our relationship with Christ, we have this reverence and awe of God. But the very same God who also has this power 
that we don't completely understand but has rules around its power, his power and regulations around it, David quickly realizes that this God who has been for him his whole life is not able to be controlled. And this is an important moment in the story. There's a reverence that's beyond David, even beyond the celebration. There's a reverence that David is still in submission to this all-powerful God. And this moment, it happens right here. There was always a rule that you cannot touch the Ark of the Covenant or, or, or God's anger will burn against that person in reverence to who God is. But I'll say this, relationship with God must never or never dilute the awe of God. I think it's easy, and tell me if you relate to me, where we can get so comfortable with the idea of certain aspects of God that grow our relationship that sometimes we can lose the awe and respect of God and the fear of God and his, 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 things of like what God cares about. Do we care about it as much as he does? Like hatred for sin, not hatred for people, hatred for the destruction of sin. Do we have that level of awe? In fear of God, even for when we protect ourselves from it, right? And I think that we can get so casual and comfortable. And David maybe was getting there where a moment where God says, I don't think that you're seeing me how I need you to see me, David. It's not so easy and you shouldn't be so comfortable. I am the God of the universe. Solomon I think David's son went even further and said something so important. It was a, such a valuable piece of wisdom. He said this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It must start there. David learned this lesson in a, in a very difficult way. And let me read 2 Samuel 6, 9. It says, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. Now listen, this is the first time David has ever been physically afraid of God. He was never afraid of God like this before. This, that day, he was afraid of God. And look what he does. He says, and he said, how can I bring the ark of the Lord to come to me? Or how can it come to me? Verse 10, and David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom in, in Gideon. And so the thing is, is that most people don't know this, but the, the ark was essentially almost into the city when this happened. So he didn't have to bring it much further, but he was too afraid to bring it anymore. He had a realization that he is dealing with something bigger than what he had ever experienced. He's actually saw a part of God that he has watched happen to all the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel. He now experienced it within his own, in his own way. And he's reminded of the fear of God. For the first time, his flesh feared and David sat back and he waited and he left it there three months. And then he, a guy comes up to him and says, hey, listen, uh, Obi, what is his name? Oh, uh, uh, Obed-Edom, <clears throat> he's doing great. He's like thriving. His skin looks better. No, this isn't in the Bible. His hair is lush. His family's looking great. Blessed. It's crazy. And here we go. We see a little bit of this fleshly part of David where he's like we got to go get that ark and so he's he goes out and he does it a different way he learned that reverence and awe and respect of God needs to be treated properly so listen to what he does he goes they go get the ark 
They go down with the same celebration, but this time David then, according to their custom in a way, he sacrificed, they took ten, six steps with the ark, with a new cart, the Bible says. He took six steps, they sacrificed to God, they all celebrated and took six more steps, and six more steps, and six more steps until they finally got it into where the tabernacle that David built for him, uh, for the ark, got to, and they did a big feast, and they fed everybody, and they said, the ark is finally here. He learned his lesson that maybe next time, let's have fear and reverence for what God is and who he is. The second thing that we're going to learn from David's part of the story is as they're bringing the ark in, we learn something valuable that as Christians, I'm not going to lie, we can be kind of uptight, we can be stuffy, it's challenging because we can sometimes play a very um, uh, uh, proper role in our relationship with God, which is good, but if it's not from God and a request from God, we should wonder maybe why we're doing it. And David learned quickly, you come as you are. This is what I love about the gospel. God doesn't care where you came from. There's no dark corner that you can be where God can't be with you. You don't have to get your life together before you know Christ, do you? Who had their life completely together before they met Christ? Crickets, right? If I just let us tell our testimonies one after another and grab this microphone, we would all know you did not start in a place where you had gotten your life together. It's not how he works. There's no way that you can get away from God. You have to come as you are authentically and always. And I think this is true. God loves authentic relationship over formalities and gestures. He loves it. There's a passage, a great passage by a prophet that uh, had said, uh, speaking for God and saying, listen, hold the sacrifices, hold the noises. The gongs are just like in the noises, the smells are a stench because I want your authenticity. And this is something David learned in this moment with God. And I think about this way. I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, thought about yourself maybe more at church than you thought about God. There are times, I'm just going to have to be honest with you, where I have thought more about myself sitting in the chair, where I'm thinking about, okay, you know, I got to make sure I say this right. I got to make sure I get this done. I've got to make, how does my shirt look? Um, is, it, is Well, I don't have hair, but like before, I'd be like, is my hair right? Like, <clears throat> and I'm sitting here during worship thinking all these things, and I'm just going to confess to you now that I've thought those things. And then while I'm in the middle of worship, Worshiping a God who I need absolute awe and respect for. And I'm not coming as I am. I'm coming thinking more about me. And I'm not really there present. I don't know if you've ever been like that. Or maybe maybe I've just got problems. But I would think about this sometimes too. When you pray. Have you ever prayed where you thought, I need to say the right words more than saying my heart? Have you ever thought that? Especially when you pray publicly? My, uh, when I went to dinners at my wife's house when we were dating in high school and her grandfather would pray and then everything he spoke normal but then when he would pray it was the most interesting thing because I remember the first time we were all there we're ready to pray and then he'd say dear lord I thank thee for thou bountiful blessing and I was like what just happened where are we now I think 
I can't judge his heart and authenticity, but I would say that I can relate to the fact that I have sometimes tried to sound more spiritual in my prayer than maybe even just communicating my heart in prayer. We can all relate to this. David learned something that you come as you are. There's a guy, I know he's listening right now, and he'll listen to this podcast. His name is Roy. I'm just going to say it right now. Chad and I remember this guy. He was just raw. You know, I met with a lot of people, and this guy just blew me away. He didn't know much about God. He wanted to know about his faith. He came from an interesting background, and he sat down in my office, and he was uh, very much himself. And I was like, well, let's pray. But Roy, would you pray? And he goes, well, I don't pray. You pray. And I was like, no, 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 you pray. And he goes, I love his prayer. He goes, all right, big guy. Been a long time. You know, good to talk to you. All right. Bye. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I loved it. Jeffrey, do you remember this? I loved it. And I appreciated his authenticity. I appreciated how raw it was. And I think that God, God's like, I like that. God doesn't necessarily care about how great you have your words together or how good you look. He cares about your heart. And David models this so well. It's 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord as the ark is coming in. And with all of his might, he's dancing. Now, traditionally in a celebration like this, usually the guys didn't dance around. And he's the king. So this is uh, unorthodox, as you'd say. Luke, Luke 10, Jesus says it this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In all of your soul, he's quoting uh, an Old Testament uh, 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 passage. With all of your soul, and all of your strength, and all of your mind, and your, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we always think about this as being the neighbor passage about loving someone else. But really, we should listen to those first parts of, of, of it that I've underlined. You should love the, God, the Lord with all of your heart. All of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. David danced before God with everything that he had. It wasn't a show, I don't believe. He was so excited for what God had done. And he's living, he's living out a promise that God made. And it was exciting. Now, listen to this. And David was wearing a linen ephod, right? Now, David was not wearing the proper clothes that you would normally wear in a moment like this. If I can describe it this way, he's wearing kind of his dancing clothes. You know when you want to kind of cut loose a little bit? Essentially, he's wearing his yoga pants. He wants to be able to stretch. He wants to be able to move. He wants to be limber. He wants to be able to like not be restricted at all. And he's dancing in this very free and flowing uh, uh, wardrobe. And no one knows what to think about it because this is the king who's never would be dancing in the street like this and is doing it freely and excited with all of his might and he put his dancing shoes on and he went for it. He was authentic. He came as he was. Verse 15, And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a horn. This was years in the making. This was freedom. 
from all their oppressors. This was freedom. This was the promise. This was their home. This, and God was going to dwell in their home. This was everything. Why was it not worth celebrating and be authentic? Why stick to the norms or what the expectations were? He was even judged by his own wife about it. No, she didn't understand. Maybe she thought his yoga pants were a little too tight. I don't know. There's maybe a problem. But she was ultimately going, listen, that was not what a king should do. And he's like, oh, you're offended? I'm going to offend you even more because of how I dance before the Lord mightily. You come as you are. There's no rules. You come as you are. And it sounded a lot like this, this moment, when, if you remember back when they crossed the Red Sea and their God was with them. And what happened immediately after that? They broke into song. They broke into dancing. And they had just experienced freedom from captivity for 400 years. It was the first time they were a free people. And they were on their way to a home that God had promised, and they were with their God. This is exactly like that. And so you come as you are. Why not celebrate? Why not be excited about what God's done for you? Why not think back about how oppressed you were and lost you were and remember the moment that the God of the universe came into your life? Why wouldn't you be yourself and excited and not worry about what anybody else thinks? So David learned you come as you are with God. He learned reverence and fear of God, but he also learned to come as you are. God loves authenticity. And this is why he loved David. The third thing we're going to learn from this, I think, ultimately, is that we're going to learn a lot about God's sovereignty. And this is one of the most important passages in the Bible, <clears throat> especially in the Old Testament. God is sovereign. David learns this quickly. I don't know how much David believes God is sovereign, that he's in control of everything. He cannot be told what to do. He only tells what to do. But there's a moment where David is risen to king, and I can imagine the conflict. I, I, I'm someone who, I don't know what it's like to be famous or to have great power, but I don't know what that does to a person. And I think in this moment, David has maybe the temptation everyone else would have with great power and great praise is that he now has to go, wait a minute. Do I put God first or myself first? Who do I trust, myself or God? In this moment, God kind of does a little bit of like a wake-up call to David. But God's sovereignty is the full acceptance and the embrace that David needs to have here. That God, ultimately, it's his reality, it's his way, and he is over everything and everything is his. That's the reality, and David has to line himself up with that. R.C. Sproul, who's a really great theologian, especially for Reformed theology, he had a really interesting statement about sovereignty, and he's written books about God, the sovereignty of God. And he said this. I liked it. He said, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God but believe in the sovereignty of man. And I was like, ooh. It's a really strong statement, but I think it's powerful. It's, we would salute the sovereignty of God. But when push comes to shove, for lots of Christians, it can be the sovereignty of man over God. David must get past this. We must overcome that. 
that God is sovereign in every situation, in everything. And we must trust him when it's hard. And we must trust him when it's good. And we must put him and continually place him as sovereign and never put ourselves there. David is in this temptation. So the, David has a home built for him. And uh, it's beautiful. It's great. It's what royalty would have. And then all of a sudden David says this. And here's his problem. You think he's thinking something good. But he's not thinking something good because of God's reaction to it. He's sitting in his bed. And he's like, you know what? I have this nice house here. And God's out in that tent. I need to build him also a home. Now, this becomes a problem. So he, he tells a guy, his name is Nathan, who is a prophet and becomes a prophet, essentially. And he says, Nathan, this is a problem. Go and do whatever is in your heart. Meaning, Nathan, go and do whatever you think is in your heart to build what's best for God. You can see these problems happening now. I'm the king, you handle God's house. He kind of offloaded it to him. You think David's thinking about God. You think he is, but in a sense, he's not fully understanding who God is and his sovereignty. And he thinks that I need to build God a home. He needs a home. There's a few political reasons it would be important for him to build a temple. Because ultimately then God is housed there and stays there. God has always, the ark has always been mobile the entire journey of Israel. But now we can put God in this house. There's a lot of reasons. We don't really know why. But let me read God's response to David in 2 Samuel 7. It says, but the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And here's where we begin to see the important covenant that God gives David. But he also gives him an important correction. We as believers should pay attention to the language God is using here. He says, go and tell my servant David, number one. He says, that dude is my servant, first of all. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have lived in a house since the day I brought up the people out of Israel, or of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about um, in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel of whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. Now, this is a little bit of a, let me remind you of your place, David. We don't want these talks from God. I don't know if you've ever had a boss that had to give you this talk like, hey, love your ideas. But when I tell you not to share them in this meeting, you're not sharing them, right? You know this, right? These are, I've been here. This, I'm speaking from experience. And my boss had to tell me, you need to know your place here. And I was like, mm. he says this, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince, not king. And I love the language. Prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And essentially, I have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Hold on a second, David. I don't, I think you're getting things mixed up here. 
I don't need you to build me a house or place me somewhere. God does allow the temple to be built, not by David, by David's son, and purely for the purpose of his care for Israel, to have a place where they know God dwells there. But God essentially never asked for a house or a temple, because where was his temple ultimately going to be? Right here. But he lets David know right away, I am sovereign, David, not you. I will call the shots. You will not. Remember when you were chasing after sheep and where you're at now? I did that. You know how people chant your name? David killed 10,000, Saul's killed 1,000. I did that. You did not. I think it's a reminder. It's a sobering reminder for believers to go, whew, sometimes I can get ahead of myself. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says it even stronger. He says, and don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. If you're going to have a reverence and a respect of the sovereignty, if you're going to cave to one thing, don't cave to what man can do. Cave to what you care about and think about what God can do and who he is. And then David soon understands because we can read Psalm 139 and he essentially writes this value out in the psalm. He says, you're all around me on every side. This is sovereignty. You protect me with your power. Your knowledge of me is too deep and beyond my understanding. I think David got the lesson. Your sovereignty is bigger than mine. I am your servant, David. I used to herd sheep, and you've brought me here. Now, when you think about your salvation, you can go back to looking where you're at. Where you're at. You were like the prodigal son who was, who was living in a life that was just not what was meant for you, but God brought you to a specific place. Imagine the prodigal son going, and yeah, and I want my inheritance again. This, this is not what our salvation is about, that we get to a place where we don't need God anymore, and we're sovereign. God is sovereign, and he reminds him, Jesus says it, and David owned the value. And the last thing here, and we'll close with this last lesson David learns, and it's in the very next statement, and it's part of the covenant with God. And we have to remember, this covenant is very different. You want to know why? This is very unusual theologically. And it's a shift in the entire theology of the history of Israel that ultimately opens the doorway for with a covenant with Christ. In this covenant, God excludes any ifs. If you do this, if you obey. And David doesn't have to make a commitment and say, yes, God, I will, I will do what you say because I understand this covenant God just ultimately says, I'm going to give you unmerited grace and favor. Whatever you do, I'm making you this promise. This is unusual. But why so many theologians believe that when Christ came, the understanding that this covenant Christ is presenting makes sense because God began to steer this direction with this covenant with David. And here's what God says. He's not done letting David know what he thinks. 2 Samuel 7, 8, 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord actually will make you a house. <laughs> I think you maybe have it backwards, David. 
Verse 12, and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will will establish his kingdom, not you, David. And he shall build a house for my name, not you, David. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, not you, David. I will be to him like a father and he shall be to me like a son. He is speaking of Solomon. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with stripes of, uh, uh, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, which God removed his anointing and blessing from Saul. He took his hand off of Saul. This is what he promises, David, of whom I put away Uh, From before even you, he said, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. The throne shall be established forever. That ushers in the new covenant of Christ. Grace. So he understands in this last value and sees the character of God here. This is a God of grace I'm working with. I have reverence. I come as myself authentically. I understand he is sovereign. Nothing that I have is mine. It's all his and everything I owe to him. And lastly, God says, and I am a God of grace. There is nothing you can do to break this covenant, David. I'm establishing it because of who I am. And this is ultimately what we get from our faith in Christianity. If you question that, you, um, that God will remove his salvation from you, then you don't understand the new covenant. You don't understand where he was going. If you question that God thinks you're not good enough, he already knows you're not good enough. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. He gave it freely, like he did to David right here. David learned these very valuable things that are littered throughout the good news, the gospel. And David understood this important value. T.D. Jakes is a very strong, powerful preacher in Dallas, and He's got some good ones once once in a while, and he said this, God's grace and mercy have brought you through. He's speaking this in a sermon. Quit acting as if you made it on your own. (laughs) We can so often just go, look what I've done. Look what I've got. I made this happen. It was my hard work and discipline. That's why I have what I had. I prayed the right prayers, and I read the right scriptures, and he's going, why are you acting like you did it on your own. You did nothing on your own. God did it all for you. And as a matter of fact, you're only a Christian because God did that for you. So let's stop the charade, is what he's saying. I love that statement. He's got some good ones once in a while. If you guys wouldn't mind bowing your heads. I like this message because, uh, not this message, I like these, this, this passage of Scripture Because it reminds us that David, this great leader, this man of obedience, who we're striving to be like in that way in in, in the best of our ability, ultimately looking to be like Christ, in a way still has to learn lessons. I, I, I don't say this disrespectfully, but it doesn't really matter how long you've been a Christian. There's always a lesson to learn. I'm learning lessons right now, and I've been a believer for a long time, and I've preached the word, thousands and thousands of messages, and I'm still learning lessons I need to learn. It's never, you're never there. And so I would say this, if 
there's an area that you felt like, man, I need to grow in that area. My reverence for God is low. The way he sees sin, it's not that big of a deal to me, but maybe it should be. Maybe the way we sometimes will respect God's voice in our life is low, and our reverence and awe is low. Maybe we need to think about that. David needed a reality check. He's not dealing with something he can control. He's dealing with something that's beyond his control. Maybe you need to come as you are more. Maybe, maybe that's something we need to work on. Maybe it's a lesson David is learning and learned that we need to learn. That authenticity with God is ultimately relationship with God. And authenticity builds intimacy every time. An inauthentic relationship in any way that we have it always will not build intimacy. Or maybe you need to learn a little bit of lesson out of sovereignty. I'm going through that right now. We all have struggles in our life. I have to learn that God's hand is on me and God's hand directs everything. And I have to accept what God's sovereignty is, but I believe his promises and his love for me. We all have this, whether it's really, really, really good. And we think, you know what? Maybe my sovereignty now. No, it will never be your sovereignty. Whether your perspective is completely off and you think you are more sovereign, the reality is God is more sovereign. And he will always be. And we should align with that. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's understanding his grace. His free gift of salvation to you. You you, you cannot pay God back. But what you can do is honor the gift. You can steward it well. You can be obedient to his call. And that's about the best you can do. You can respond to the free gift. You cannot pay it back and you cannot earn it. It's yours. And like David, that covenant that he made with David was unique to David. But Christ's covenant with us is unique to all of us. His grace, his mercy, his love. But if you're going to take Christ and you're going to take God in your life, you've got to take all of them. And so we should grow in these areas. If there's a lesson to learn, learn it. Practice it this week. Think about it. I challenge you to do it. There's one of these lessons I'm really trying to learn in my own life. I knew it when I read it. I got to learn that lesson more. I got to grow in that area more. And maybe one of those is for you. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, for the, for, for the raw honesty of the Bible. It doesn't just paint David as a hero, but paints him as a person that we can relate to and we can understand. And God, I thank you so much for salvation, for your grace that's infinite in God. I thank you so much that you are in control. I thank you that we can be ourselves before you. We don't need to show. We just need to show up. And God, I thank you so much that you are continually growing in each one of us the awe and the respect of you. That when you say something's important, we say it's important. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand?